The U.S. presidential election is over, and the new president, Joe Biden, has been sworn in along with the new vice president, Kamala Harris. The outgoing Trump administration took some well-documented liberties with America's environmental policy over the last four years, even going as far as withdrawing the U.S. from the Paris Climate Agreement in 2017. So it's easy to see how their departure from the White House might be considered beneficial to global decarbonization efforts. But what might the change in U.S. administration mean for our efforts here in the Caribbean? To help us explore this idea, we got in touch with our good friend, policy expert Dr. Kalim Shah. You might remember him from episode 5, where we discussed the importance of policy to Caribbean climate action. Sometimes you see um, a national strategy. What is the policy position that this strategy is setting out to operationalize? Dr. Shah works at the Joseph Biden Jr. School of Public Policy and Administration at the University of Delaware, and he often engages persons involved in foreign policy, trade, and negotiation. So we sat down with him to get his perspective and to hear his ideas about how the Caribbean region can position itself to work with this new administration on important issues such as climate change and energy security. It starts from the grassroots voices in our countries telling the, 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 the policymakers and the political directorate what is important to us, the people. So let's see what's in store for Caribbean climate policy over the next four years in this episode of Caesar Voices. But it's true. Number one since Teddy Roosevelt. Who would have thought? Trump is the great environmentalist. You hear that, Ed? You hear that? According to the New York Times, by the time Donald Trump uttered those words at a Florida rally weeks before the election, his administration had already dismantled almost 100 environmental measures put in place under previous administrations. It makes sense when you listen to these other words uttered at that same rally. To our political opponents, environmental policy is just an excuse to advance a socialist platform that will impose trillions and trillions of dollars in new taxes and send our jobs overseas, making it impossible to open up new companies and to live less expensively. Your energy costs would be four, five, sometimes even under scenarios, 10 times more expensive. And really, you wouldn't even have energy. During his time in office, Trump was almost completely dismissive of issues such as climate change and environmental protection. So we thought we should start by getting an idea of how his presidency impacted U.S.-Caribbean relations on these matters. As it turns out, though. For the Caribbean region, uh, I, there was not much of a change in the status quo under the, the Trump administration generally. If we, if we look at um, climate change, obviously on the global level, the Trump administration had um, sort of erased climate change language from its um, policy and negotiations tables on the energy security side. Again, not much change from the status quo, but um, um, what we perhaps would be thankful for is that um, programs run out of the U.S. federal government um, did not really get a hit in terms of uh, reduced budgets 
and so on for energy security assistance in in the Caribbean region. Those those went on as as per usual, more or less. Yup, as harmful as the Trump administration's environmental policies probably were to the climate fight globally, they didn't seem to impact work being done on important environmental issues in the Caribbean. This might seem a tad counterintuitive, since we're talking about the administration that pulled the U.S. out of the climate accords. But it's actually not all that strange when you look closely. Their, their, their positioning um, was more along the lines of, we're doing this for you and we need a favor back from you after, right? Ah, yes. <laughs> uh, in retrospect, you can probably see that line of thinking in lots of the uh, international development work that, that the administration did. Now, you have to remember, too, from a public administration and policy point of view, that, you know, there's a top there, there's a political directorate, right? But remember in, in these uh, in these agencies and so on, there's all there's there's seasoned civil servants serving in these positions, right? right. That come admin with this administration or that administration, right? Work still goes on. Work still goes on regardless of who's sitting in the Oval Office. Politicians make promises and administrations develop policies. But the federal workers at the implementation level are the ones who keep things moving. You know, these folks in, in, in uh, well-seasoned, well-expert folks in, uh, in some of these uh, federal agencies have been able to, to work on, on, on things. So, you know, it's almost as if, all right, so the political position is we don't want to fund anything related to climate change okay so let's not do that but you know maybe we get to some of the issues by not talking about climate change but talking about how do we talk about energy security right and um, energy efficiency and if we make energy systems um, if we modernize energy systems we modernize uh, energy infrastructure and so on, right? Um, and we're looking to make it, let's say, cheaper, more efficient, more effective. We perhaps we also reduce emissions. As a as a professional person, you have to sit and think, you know, all right. So how do I work around these limitations? How do I try to? Can I get to? my objectives with these kinds of constraints and limitations around me. I think for environmental and climate change minded people during the, you know, the last administration, this would have been what the serious thinkers would, would have been trying to do. Imagine being hired by a company to detect and solve problems, but working under supervisors determined to convince the company that some of the most critical problems don't even exist. That's what serious environmental experts were dealing with over the course of the last presidential term. One of the main criticisms of the uh, way that the previous administration um, operated was the criticism about how certain language uh, around sensitive issues like climate change was scrubbed or there were orders and uh, pressures on public servants uh, to scrub certain kinds of language related to 
what we were understanding about uh, climate change based on the science. Any, any administration anywhere around the world would want to manage their messaging and communications. Um, this is part of the course in politics. But given the critical nature and the urgency of the, the climate challenge and all of the public controversy and debate around it, this was above and beyond the kind of uh, typical interaction between the, the political directorate and the public service that was merited. Given the resourcefulness required to get real work done under such harsh conditions, you can imagine the kind of progress that could be made by improving them, which is something the Biden administration has promised to do. There's very clear actions that this administration has promised to take to ensure that the science and the evidence and data um, is clear, it's transparent, it's accountable, it's used and it's not stifled. The administration is pushing a whole government approach to climate change, meaning that it is not an isolated sphere of activity. Uh, climate change is not a, an environmental issue or it's not a uh, transport issue, agriculture issue, uh, but in fact, it covers uh, across the board. And um, climate change considerations have to be taken across all of government. Uh, all the decisions, all the administrations, uh, sorry, all the agencies, uh, all the departments, um, so on, vertically and horizontally across government. There's other discussions, for example, about uh, setting up sort of a, a science or a um, or accountability um, ombudsman, uh, so to speak, to ensure that science uh, science-based policymaking is um, being strengthened across government. Hopefully the administration makes good on its promises. But in the meanwhile, there's a lesson here for Caribbean leaders about finding ways to cooperate with the United States towards our common goals, no matter whose policies are in place. It's all a matter of approach. So on our end, now that there is this change, you know, that um, Biden has, has taken office, you know, what are our priorities? Like, what is it that we are hoping to see happen? So this is the thing, uh, you know, I've been in several sort of um, political forums listening to uh, negotiations on, um, you know, last summer I was in the uh, SDGs um, uh, meetings on Zoom, right, um, that, that were held in New York and, you know, a couple other things over the last couple of years and some very experienced uh, diplomats in discussion with them. I've always sort of mentioned to me, which I think is important for our discussion here about a new administ administration, Caribbean leaders often are not confident about their asks, A-S-K-S, about their asks. When you are in discussion with a new administration, we have to be very clear as individual countries, but also as a region, on what are our asks, and and I, and and this is something that was pointed out to me, you know, by by senior diplomats. You see, even though the incoming administration seems to be more receptive when it comes to the issue of climate change, we still need to be clear as a region about what we want. You know, other countries 
and other regions negotiate hard and they can negotiate hard for things that they want, for collaborations they want, for assistance, for the relationships that they want to build with a US administration because they are confident and clear about the asks. I am asking for assistance on resilience building. Look, we have a plan here and these are our priorities. Right. This is our ask, all right? We're not asking for anything else, right? Um, this is what we want to work on with you. And 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 sometimes that that edge of um of, of, of definitiveness is missing in, 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 in our Caribbean leadership. So we have to be prepared. We have to be prepared as, as, as individual countries, but and also as a region for when the new administration turns its eyes to us and say, hey, Caribbean neighbors, we value you. And um, we want to work on it with you on the issues that are important to you and us. Um, climate security, energy security, regional economic security, and so on. What are your asks, right? And we have to be prepared for that. It is debatable on if we are, as a region, prepared for that kind of conversation. I would say we need to, to get that going very quickly um, um, with a fresh, new, enthusiastic administration um, in power right now in the U.S., so here we are. It's a critical point in the game, and the star players have a chance to make a real impact. But they have to know what to do with the ball. Our team needs a game plan. So how do we how do we get to that point? Is it just a matter of um of more uh, data collection? Is it that we need to? Is it that the, is it that the people in our administrations don't have eyes on the kinds of activities that? Um, that require assistance right now or that are even needed if they're not even in place? Right. So this is where the grassroots is very important. It starts from the grassroots voices in our countries telling the, 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 the policymakers and the political directorate what is important to us, the people. Okay? Yeah. Can we look at our countries and say, say for sure that we can do that and and, and ensure that we have leaders who will, uh, when the opportunity arises, um, go with that, with those plans and those points to say, these are the areas that we want to collaborate on. And this is what we need from you. And this is what we can provide to work together. Um, there, you know, and there are some places that traditionally we are there, for example, um, on a lot of energy issues, you know, we've been talking for many, many years about regional energy security uh, with the U.S. U.S. has a vested interest in that. On, on several things, we have traditional relationships. So, you know, it would be deepening uh, those kinds of relationships and those kinds of um, issues um, that, that already exist but introducing some of the, the new, more pertinent issues um, in, in relevant ways. We're really negotiating with a long-time partner, just on the new management. It's all about making sure our representatives know what's currently at stake, so they can revisit old agreements and establish new points of common interest. 
for example, the climate change issue. Uh, how does that translate into a language and a format that gets the attention of the United States? Disaster relief. Disaster relief is a big part of that, right? Right. Um, but it can't be just about, you know, disaster relief post-disaster. It has to be on the, on the resilience building side of it as well. It can't be post-disaster rebuilding it has to be ensuring some measures of security and things being put in place uh, to, to reduce the impact of these uh, extreme weather events that, that, are, that are predicted. So the change in U.S. administration presents new opportunities to work together on key issues. But making good on these opportunities goes far beyond simply identifying and negotiating for the resources we need. We also need to position ourselves to make good use of them. I've been asked a lot by regional um, policymakers about assistance with institutional strengthening and development of our gov governance systems to reduce some, some, you know, some of the inefficiencies in our, um, in our government, our public sectors. Uh, of course, this is an ongoing discussion, but this is I think this is an area that we also have to look at. It's okay to work on having wonderful, well-prepared policies, but then policies and regulations and standards and guidelines and all of these and laws and all of these wonderful things have to be implemented and enforced. And this is always where we fall short. Um, and I think that we have to, to, to look at that a little bit more. Maybe U.S. administrations can, can provide some partnerships. Other uh, international organizations can, can, can help us with that. Look for best practices in uh, public administration and governance and policy implementation. I think this is something that the region also has to get serious on. Collaboration between the Caribbean region and its global partners can take many forms, but a lot of the effort is wasted if our institutions function inefficiently. A lot of executive uh, folks in government circles are recognizing this just because when I get into conversations with them, oftentimes uh, these are the questions that arise. Can we do some training programs on this and that and the other, right? We have environmental impact legislation, you know, right? Yeah. But um, it falls apart when um, um, the environmental impact study has to be reviewed by the environment department, but also the health department and also lands and surveys because each of them work on their own cycles, their own, um, their own program cycles and so on. And sometimes it's not as coordinated as necessary. And a review that should have taken by law six weeks, right, is taking six months because wow. of that lack yes. of coordination. So there's very there's lots of things that can be tweaked in the institutional structure for, for you know for implementation of of policies and so on um, that we have to look at more efficient and more effective. Um, implementation um, chains and institutional structures 
and um, and and procedures to get things done. U.S. environmental policy suffered greatly under the Trump administration, but we were able to continue working on important environmental issues by shifting the conversation to make sure our interests remained aligned. If we can work quickly at the local and regional level to improve our institutional structures and outline key areas of current interest, we'll be well prepared not only to work with the Biden administration, but with any that comes after. Anyway, that's all we have for you on this episode of Caesar Voices. We'd like to thank Dr. Kalim Shah for taking the time to help us put things into perspective. Of course, we'd also like to thank our listeners for tuning in. If you've been enjoying our podcast so far, please feel free to give us a rating wherever you're listening. We'd also like to remind you that you can visit our website, caesarjournal.org slash donations to lend your financial support or join our monthly donor club on Patreon and gain access to exclusive content or even be featured in an episode of our podcast. Just click the links in the description. And if you'd like to sponsor an episode of Caesar Voices and feature your company or NGO, please click on our corporate link to learn more. 